You all like the Beatles? Okay, one of you likes the Beatles. They have so many one-liners, don't they? Uh, you could probably think of all the different categories, love songs and adventure songs, driving your bus, your car, your submarine, all those songs about the Beatles, right? There's one one-liner I want to think about today, and you could probably all finish this uh, today. How about this? All we are saying is... <laughs> love, maybe, but yeah, give peace a chance. Now that we've said it, does it ring a bell? All we are saying is, give peace a chance, right? Isn't that a great song? Right? Like the Beatles or not, that's a great thing to think about. We all want peace, right, in this world. Uh, we look at the news, we look at our families, we look at our church, we look at ourselves and say, wow, we could use a little peace in this world, right? Uh, our angels uh, sing the song, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to men of goodwill, right? That's what God gives. God wants to give this world peace, right? Now, of course, we know that Jesus said, you know, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword, but that's a different context. We'll leave that for another time. I do want to talk today about how it is that sometimes we, God calls us to try to work for peace. And you all know this, that when I preach a sermon to you, I've already, I'm trying as well to preach it to myself. So don't think that this is um, me telling you what to do, but me not wanting to do it. I want to do this as well. I want to give peace a chance, just like you want to give peace a chance, because life would be better. So today we're going to look at the letter of Philemon. Who's ever studied in depth Philemon? Who's ever even knew it was in the Bible until today? Anyone not know it was even there, right? Yeah. So the Apostle Paul, it is a letter from the Apostle Paul. And as you know, the Apostle Paul wrote lots of letters because he was always writing to the churches he started. We have 13 of them. And they go from longest to shortest, basically. So it goes Romans, the longest one, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Those are all written to churches, you know, in, in different places. Galatia, Thessalonica, all those different places in, in the, the Middle East. And then he starts writing to some pastors. He writes three letters to pastors. 1st Timothy, 2nd Timothy, those are to Tim, Timothy. And then to Titus, he writes, he's another pastor. And then he writes to someone who is none of the above. Not a church, not a pastor. Just a guy. A guy in a church. And he writes him this personal letter that as we read it, we're like... Well, what's going on? Why is this in the Bible? It's the letter to Philemon. And in Philemon, Paul is basically using this line from the Beatles. All we are saying, Philemon, and your person you're in conflict with is, give peace a chance. And more than a chance. Let it happen. Let it come. It'll be great. So before we get to how Paul tries to help these two guys, Philemon and this other person, uh, Onesimus, how he tries to bring them together uh, to be at peace with one another. Uh, I want to look, that's kind of the application of something else that Paul talks about um, in his longest letter, Romans. So we're actually going to look at a couple different scriptures about peace from the, gospel, or from the book of Romans. So if you have a, a pew Bible, grab one, because I'll be looking at a couple different places. They're all short verses, uh, but grab a pew Bible. I think it's on page, the first one is in your pew Bible on page 886. So... Grab a pew Bible, 886. You can have mine, Chuck. All right. So peace is good. What's the biggest peace that we need? Let me ask it another way. If you die and everyone loves you, but yet you're not at peace with God, is that good? No. Of course, we don't want to be at odds with anyone, but our biggest need for peace is with God, right? So our first verse is Romans 5, verse 1. And you could go home after hearing this verse. This is all you need to know. 
It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? That, that goes on the heels of the previous verse, which says that Jesus was given or delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Does that make sense? Christ died for us, our sins, and he's risen so that we would be made right or just in God's sight. Completely pure, perfect, 100% good. Is that good news or what? Right? And by believing that, we have peace with God. That's all we need. Right? That's what the world needs is peace with God. Right? And so Paul tells us that once we have peace with God, um, it will change our life. But I want to look at two other verses along with this peace with God. So one is in Romans 14, verse 17. And I, I'm gonna, if someone has a mic, you could read that verse for us. So Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. All right. Peace comes from God, and along with peace comes righteousness, which is the same word as justification. It's just a verb and noun difference. And joy. So when we have peace with God, we are righteous in his sight. We are declared righteous, and it results in joy. Good stuff. Gives us peace. That's great. There's others, too, that says... um, that the God of peace will give you all peace in believing. It's another great verse. So peace comes from God. Hallelujah. All right, we should end the sermon, but we're not, okay? Because we all know that there's not always, just because we have peace with God, doesn't mean we have peace with ourselves or others, right? So I want to look at a verse that will kind of show us, um, once we have peace with God, we can then have a life that starts to have peace with ourselves. So look at Romans 14, I'm sorry, Romans 8, Verse 6. This is right on the heels of Romans chapter 7. I like to call Romans chapter 7 the doo-doo chapter. I'm not swearing here. I'm not talking about what you might step in. It's the doo-doo chapter. Romans 7 says, I want what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. And I almost can't help it. I'm stuck. And he says, Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. It's Jesus who can get us out of this conflict inside of us. In Romans 8, Paul tells us we're not just stuck in that conflict with ourselves, that God gives us his Holy Spirit. So take a look at verse 6. Dave, you want to read that one? For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Okay. Once we've been given God's Holy Spirit, then this conflict inside of us can change. On our own, of course, we would set our minds on my opinions, my thoughts, how I'm right, how the other person is wrong. Those are the the mindset on the flesh, looking to yourself. But it says the mindset on the things of the Spirit, God who gives us Jesus by His Spirit. The mindset on Jesus, the mindset on the Spirit, is life and peace. So God can work in us to to walk away from that um, mind of the flesh towards the mind of the Spirit. Okay, But it doesn't mean it's easy. However, and we put some feet on the ground with this. So once we have, and God works in our hearts to start to do this and want to do it, He says, well, okay, great, you have peace with me. You begin to have peace with yourself, now make peace with others. And we're like, okay, no way, thank you, I'm good, right? Because I know what others have done, right? Well, we'll look at two verses. One is 
Romans 14, verse 19. So flip over a little bit to Romans 14, verse 19. I'm putting you to work, Dave. I didn't tell you about this. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Okay. That means peace with others. Let us run after and look for anything that would make peace with others and to build them up. Right? Not easy for any of us. But that's what Paul tells us to do. Try as much as you can to make peace. And then this next one is is even more cutting. Uh, Romans 12, verse 18. So flip back a little bit. Romans 12, verse 18. And this is the one that hits home hard for me and probably for you. Because the first two words. Go ahead, Dave, whenever you're ready. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Ouch. (laughs) If possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with other people. Right? We might say, off the bat, not possible because that guy's a jerk. Right? It's not possible. (laughs) Right? Um, But the next phrase, as much as it depends on you, we ask ourselves, have I done anything? Have I done everything to make peace with someone else? Someone who sinned against me a long time ago? Someone who's sinning against me now? Have I done everything? And the answer is no. Even if the other person is 90% at fault, guess what? Your 10% is grievous to God. Right? And there's something we can do with that 10%. Even if the other person is mostly in the wrong, it's still our responsibility with that 10% to say, this is what I did that was wrong. These are the thoughts I had that were wrong. These are the words I said that were wrong. Even if you know you're mostly in the right, you're not all in the right. So we have that obligation as much as it depends on us. And that is a really, really hard thing, isn't it? Kind of wish that wasn't in there. (laughs) Well, I did say sometimes it's not possible. It says if possible. And among Christians, God expects that it is possible. Because we've been given the mind set on the spirit. It should be possible among Christians. Does that mean everyone out in the world is going to like us? No. Can't expect that. But among Christians, we should expect it. And then uh, sometimes it's just not possible, and Paul says that. Flip to the end of Romans chapter 16. And turn, there's a little paragraph there, beginning in verse 17. We'll just read verse 17 for now, and then I'll look at one of the other verses in a second. So Romans 16, verse 17. By the way, don't make this... Don't put this on the fridge and think everyone else falls into this category, right? Perhaps after you've done everything you can do, maybe someone falls in this category, but God willing, no. But go ahead, Dave. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. All right, so sometimes... If people will not reconcile, if people will not come to the table with you, if people will not even talk with you, maybe they're just trying to cause division between you and them. After you've done everything possible, which by the way, we haven't, then at that time, we were told, you can avoid them for that time. That's not God's will. God's will is that we all come to repentance and reconciliation. But that's what he says. Avoid those who cause divisions and create obstacles. If they after every, doing everything, they won't, they won't come with you to peace. All right, so those are some challenging things. 
right? So I'm going to show you kind of how, until we got to the last verse, all that desire for peace that he tells us that give, comes from God and that we can have with ourselves and with others, how Paul puts that on the ground. And we're not going to look at it in detail, but turn in your bulletin or in the Bible to, to Philemon, that one-page book, one-page letter. And let's take a quick look what what Paul tells Philemon to do. So here's the stage. Philemon is probably, well, we'll read it. Uh, kind of go, I'll try to go quickly through this and then end uh, so that we can uh, keep celebrating Labor Day weekend. But here's, here's how it starts. It says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our brother, our beloved fellow worker, and probably his wife, Aphia, our sister, and probably their son, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. All right? This guy has a church in his house. He's probably doing well. He's probably wealthy. He's probably rich. But because he has a, a church in his house, he probably also is generous. He's probably hosting many people. Probably many more than came to church today. So we could have church in someone's house today because there's so few of us. Right? Um, so this guy is, is a good guy. He says he's a beloved fellow worker. And then in verse 4, even if you don't get anything else out of this, but this could go on your, your, uh, your gravestone. This will be, these next verses will be a wonderful thing for people to say about you. So this guy is not a bad guy. He said, Paul says in verse 4, I thank my God when I remember you in my prayers. Why? Because I hear of your love and of the faith you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. That's good, isn't it? Paul knows about his faith and his love. He's not a bad dude. And he goes on in verse 7, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. That's all good. You've made people joyful. You've comforted people. You've refreshed the hearts of fellow believers. That's all good, isn't it? Would you like that to be said of you? What a great person. This is what they did. Right? Of course. And then Paul goes on. Yes, Philemon is a pretty good guy. He's hosting a church in his house. He's a fellow worker. He's refreshed people. But he is not perfect. And how do we know the rest of the red letter, and we won't look at it in detail, but we know that there is some sort of conflict between Philemon and this person named Onesimus, who's probably either a runaway slave who has come to find Paul, uh, and if he's not a runaway slave, he's seeking Paul in mediation, but when he leaves Philemon's house, he's not a Christian, and when he comes to Paul, uh, Paul shows him the way, and he becomes a Christian, but there's some conflict between Philemon and Onesimus. Is Philemon necessarily in the wrong? Paul never says so, right? However, can Philemon have more grace in his heart? That's what Paul is encouraging him. So let's take a quick look as we walk through this. Actually, Dave, would you just read that middle paragraph, verses 8 to 16? And just listen to this as, as Paul trying to put into practice, making peace as much as possible. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required... Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner, also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. 
For this, perhaps, is why he was parted for you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So much to be said about this, and we won't take the time. One thing that happened from here, even though there was conflict between Philemon and Onesimus, it worked out for the good. God worked in Onesimus' heart to no longer be a disobedient bondservant, to no longer be a runaway slave. He's put in his heart to now become, at least under Paul's uh, teaching, a Christian. And so he's going to go back. This guy who could keep running, he's going to go back to Philemon. And now Philemon is not just his, we could say, boss, um, master. He is a fellow believer. This is revolutionary. Onesimus is a bondservant. So for Paul to say to Philemon, hey, don't treat him like a bondservant. Treat him like a brother. In that time period is completely revolutionary. And I think that's a lesson that we can learn today. God calls us brothers and sisters. And that's a remarkable and wonderful thing. So I'm going to end with this. Paul ends uh, these, these words, verses 17. But I want to turn this around just a little bit as we end these verses. This is not just a letter from St. Paul to Philemon 2,000 years ago. I want you to read this as today. Jesus speaks these words to you. About you, perhaps, maybe someone in your life, not, maybe in the future. Look at verse 17. We'll read this as if Jesus is saying this to you. So, whoever you are, my child, if you consider me your partner, your master, your Lord, your shepherd, receive this other person as you would receive me. If this other person has wronged you at all, and I know they have, or if this other person owes you anything, and I know they do, charge that, Jesus says, to my account. I, Jesus, speak this with my own voice. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me your own self. Yes, brother, sister, I want some benefit from you. Refresh my heart. Jesus says these words to us to restore us, to refresh us, to renew us, to give peace a chance. So that's God's word to us. All we are saying is, give peace a chance. In the name of Jesus, amen.